A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It sounds like I'm, I'm like talking on like The Bachelor or something. Like you've been on this journey. <laughs> I've been on this journey. You've with been you. on this journey with me. <laughs> You just never think that that's going to be a thing. And when you are faced with some issues like that, it's been fucking life. It has been life changing, really. I've learned more about life, myself, others in the last three years than I possibly could have in my 20s. I don't think we ever really figure everything out. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't be needing to live this life and certainly don't feel like you have to figure everything out by the time you're 30. We have covered a lot of ground on the podcast so far and have heard from some really interesting and inspiring people about life in our 30s. It's been so amazing to facilitate some special conversations and I sincerely hope you have enjoyed it. I know I've learned so much and I've also felt really validated in these chats. You know, figuring out 30 is definitely something that I want to continue, but this is the final episode of Series 1. Can't believe we've got here. <laughs> um, I, I want to take some time to plan out what I want to do next. I've got a lot of episode ideas that I want to flesh out. Um, and before we put this on pause, I'm keen to just take a moment to, you know, check back in with you. So for this episode, I'm going to be answering a bunch of questions that were submitted to my Instagram. They're questions about the podcast, about me, and any extra insight I can provide. It's literally like an AMA. So let's do it. Okay, so I did a call out on my Instagram. I received heaps of questions for this episode, which is quite nice. Uh, I've tried to narrow it down to a small list. I think maybe 10 questions here. And down the track, I'll definitely do another AMA edition. But yeah, some of these questions I'm going to read out myself. And some of them you'll actually hear from the person asking them. I really wanted to get a bunch of different voices on this episode. I didn't want it to just be me. Got to drown my voice out. But yeah, it kind of feels more personal and really nice doing it that way. So let's, yeah, let's get into the first question. Hi, Bridget. I'm Keely, and I want to know if there's anything you wish you'd done in your 20s but didn't, and if there's any regrets that you have going into your 30s. Hi, Keely. Thank you. Great question to start this off. Um, I try to be one of those people who say, like, no regrets, because I feel like everything leads you to something. And if there were regrets, you know, I'd probably try to look at them as lessons instead, because, yeah, you always take something from everything uh, that you do and that you don't do. There's always a lesson to be learned and everything leads you to where you are now. Um, But I did always want to do a year working overseas. I always wanted to do a year working in London, but I think I actually would have really struggled with it because the weather really affects my mood and my mental state, And which is ironic because I'm from Ballarat and live in Melbourne, but I hate winter. Like winter makes me really sad. Um, and I would have really found that hard in London, you know, their long, dark winters. I would have literally needed one of those happy lamps that you can get full on prescribed. Um, and I also spent a decent chunk of my 20s you know, working my way up to where I am now professionally. So I wouldn't have wanted to take away from that. Like if I had gone and done a year in London, uh, it probably would have, you know, yeah, kind of 
prevented me from getting me to where I am now. I mean, who knows where it would have led me, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think about it still though. It's not so much a what if, oh, maybe it kind of is, but I know realistically, like it's not something that I would do now. Like I love living in Melbourne. Um, yeah, but that's something that I had always kind of envisioned. I think a good moment though of like reflection for me was COVID and lockdown because yeah, from the age of 22 to 28, I did do a fair bit of traveling and I accumulated some debt because of it. But thankfully now I'm in a position where, you know, I'm debt free, um, financially independent, savings, like in a good place. But I remember thinking about people who are younger than me throughout the pandemic and they were deprived of that time during lockdown to go do their traveling, to do their gap year, their first Europe trip and stuff like the Kentikis, the South Croatias. And um, COVID made me really appreciate those experiences that I did do in my 20s. And I mean, that's exactly what I think life should be like, right? You know, you work to live, not live to work. So I, I do look back on my 20s with no regrets and with fondness because I, yeah, I know I'm lucky to have been able to do those traveling things and work different jobs and figure out where I wanted to be professionally. And then I spent like five, six years getting to where I am now, pretty much. In terms of regrets heading into my 30s, I mean, I wish I educated myself more on financial things and maybe ways in which I could help set myself up to be in an even better position but also totally recognize my privilege in that sense. And and chatting to Mel Brown for the finance episode, that was really helpful for me and to kind of, you know, realize and remember that it's never too late to start with anything. Um, and especially in terms of getting your finances like really under control and focusing on that. I was also going to say that I wish I never like signed onto a new lease with my last partner before that breakup. But at the same time, I don't think I would have found my current place if that didn't happen. And I love where I live now. So yeah, I kind of just literally look at everything as a lesson, really try to be like half glass full about all of this stuff. Even if it does suck at the time or whatever, it always will lead you to something. And hopefully it's something that, yeah, will make you happy. And that's thankfully my experience. So Thank you, Keely. Um, the next question I have is from Tyler, which I'm going to read out. Tyler said, how have you found podcasting compared to radio? Great question. Again, it's been just really fun to be a bit more candid and personal. Like in my role as a music presenter, it's not about me. And that's why I do it. I came into media as a music fan and to talk about music, not to talk about myself. But I guess, you know, as people come to know me, I've kind of, yeah, felt more comfortable with sharing things about myself and as well, like creating additional platforms, whether that's through Endogram with my endometriosis or here, navigating life in real time. It's been nice to show a bit more of myself. So content wise, love that expansion and freedom because this is my independent project. On more technical terms, it's just been really great personal development, like having a new skill set, like editing, producing, presenting my own podcast. So I feel like I've learned a lot there. And yeah, I know there's heaps I can continue to fine tune. I listen back to <laughs> to this series and I can hear, you know, little audio quirks that I could have fixed because I don't have like a proper studio or anything. This is very DIY, but it's been great. It's just been hard. Honestly, it's been really hard to balance podcasting and full-time work. So that's why I'm going to put this on a bit of a pause. I want to map out on, uh, upcoming episodes. I really want to spend more time on planning 
and um, also have a bit of a break. But yeah, podcasting is definitely something that I want to keep doing for sure. Like it's, it's the ultimate platform right now and it's a real blank canvas. Like I, I have so many ideas in my head and I'm, um, yeah, I'm just happy that I've been able to kind of create this for myself. Like I'm really proud, you know, Tyler, I'm really proud. <laughs> uh, okay. The next one is a, a voice message coming from Sammy. Hey Bridge, my name's Sammy. My question for you is what's your favorite part about turning 30 and what's been the most challenging part for you? Loving this podcast and can't wait to hear this episode. Thank you, Sammy. Um, My favourite thing about turning 30 has, I guess, been just like realising it's not the be-all, end-all. It's just another chapter, but it has made me be more stern, I suppose, with what I want to prioritise and that I'm not afraid to put myself first. And I think it's also awesome just being this age and, you know, if you want to say no to things, like if you don't want to go out late or drink, your friends aren't going to make you. Well, they shouldn't anyway. But when I compare it to our 20s, for example, you know, definitely have more FOMO when you fall to that pressure. But in our 30s, it's cool to like want to look after yourself and it's cool if you want to say no to something because you know it won't make you feel good. I mean, I've always been a nana anyway. Like my friends know I am hardcore nana. Um, I love being at home in my dressing gown with a cup of tea. I'm literally like, <laughs> I'm literally the person at weddings and events by the end of the night, even at festivals for crying out loud, like I'm asking for a cup of tea. Even um, 2013, my first Europe trip, we did sail Croatia for a week and you would pay your bar tab at the end of the week, right? Uh, so you're paying off your all your drinks, your ciders, your beers and stuff. My most ordered drink was tea. Like (laughs) I was going up there every night being like, oh, can I just have a tea? And I was literally the only one doing it. But that's just always been me. So it kind of feels like for me, my 30s, you know, I've always been a nana, but now like some of my friends are catching up to me in that sense. And I'm like, welcome, welcome to the nana life. It's it's a beautiful thing. (laughs) The most challenging part has been, oh, getting comfortable in myself again and getting comfortable in my own company. As I mentioned in the first episode, you know, went through a pretty big breakup six weeks before turning 30. And it's one of those things like I actually hate bringing it up and I don't want it to come off as like I'm always referring back to it, but it was, you know, it was a significant moment in the lead up to turning 30. So it kind of, yeah, I kind of have to look back at it. But Yeah, that really was challenging in that I was so used to having someone around. And I mentioned again in the first episode, like I always loved my independence. But when you fall into, yeah, a long-term relationship, I guess, and you're so used to having someone else in your life and someone else that you prioritize, having that suddenly gone, it can be really terrifying to just get back in within yourself and get to know yourself again. It's quite daunting. Um, and I found that really challenging, especially in lockdowns and yeah, living by myself for the first time. And it took time. It took you know a fair bit of time to get comfortable in myself again. And I knew that, but I was like really determined to to put in that work and get to that point again. And I knew I would get back to that point. So definitely the most challenging part, but in the same sense, or also the most rewarding part was, yeah, becoming comfortable in my own company and regaining um, that kind of, yeah, true independence, I suppose. So yeah, I hope that answered that question. Let's get into the next one. Hey, Bridget, it's Andy here. 
I wanted to ask a question about approaching friendships in your 30s. I feel like it's an age where you start to know yourself and how you really want to spend your time, which can sometimes unintentionally lead to becoming distant or giving less time to certain friendships. And navigating that can be a really hard process. So I thought it would be something good to break down. Very good thing to break down. It's actually something that I want to do a whole episode on when I resume the podcast because, you know, there's been a bit of focus on romantic relationships, but friendship dynamics, yeah, really do shift in your 30s because it's, um, you know, it's probably when you do have to work for them the most. Like in your 20s, you might have friends that live close to you or go to uni with you, go out drinking with you or work with you, but your 30s kind of yeah, we go back to that notion of settling down and and consequently you do lose time. I read a bit of a piece on Vice. There was a clinical psychologist and this author of a book called The Friendship Fix. They were saying how, you know, sometimes a life transition gives us the opportunity to clear out friendships that weren't really good matches. And they were friendships that we may fell into by proximity only, but maybe didn't serve us well emotionally. And I thought that was a really interesting thing because I feel like, I can relate to that. Like you have friends out of convenience. That might sound really sh- shallow, but I think it's true. And in your 30s, it can be a bit confronting, kind of coming to terms and realizing like mm, maybe this person doesn't really fit in my life anymore in the way that they do. I think what it comes down to is the way in which you kind of accept it and and maybe how you go about maintaining that relationship, that friendship moving forward. I have friends that I have drifted from, absolutely, and they would say the same. But I think we are mature enough and graceful enough to both be like, yeah, we've drifted, but it's fine. Like we haven't fallen out or anything. I can see how much they have changed and how they've really come into their own. And I can see how they're kind of a bit more different to what we were when we were friends like younger in our 20s or whatever, but I'm happy for them. And I think you can still have that mutual respect and wish them well and stuff, even if you don't really catch up with them anymore. Like if you run into them down the street, you might have small talk and yeah, you might get a bit sad and nostalgic and whatever, but you can also appreciate the person that they've become and especially if they are happy in what they're doing now. But I love having low maintenance friends. I really value this like small friendship circle. Like there's a handful of my friends who I do call super low maintenance and it's friends that I can literally go months without seeing or even talking to. But when you do have that catch up, it's like nothing has changed and you're both aware of that and you are both like appreciative of it. I think it's just important to acknowledge it and be open in that communication. Like I've said before to my friends, like, hey, sorry, I know I'm really shit to catch up with and things can be hard, you know, kind of getting our schedules to match up and stuff. But then they understand. They're like, no, I know you're busy. I am too. It's just, yeah, love love seeing you when I can and stuff. And yeah, I, this is definitely something that I want to do a whole episode on and find some people to chat to, um, yeah, maybe like a psychologist or whatever, and we can kind of dissect it more. But yeah, this is definitely um, an upcoming episode for the next installment of Figuring Out 30. I think it's talking about friendships, yeah, is just as important as romantic relationships. Like friendships are just as significant. So we will dive further into this one. Andy? Hey, Bridge. My name's Britt. I was just wondering if you have any tips on navigating the breakup of a long-term relationship and where to even start. Thanks. Yep. 
Okay, I have got tips. I have things to say about this. Um, so let's get into it, Brit. So yeah, in the dating episode, one of my besties, Dee, she very kindly said that I dealt with my breakup in a stunning fashion. Um, so yeah, I I feel like I'm qualified to tell you how I navigated mine. <laughs> Five-year relationship, longest relationship so far, going from like living together to like we literally have no contact now. And that's a really good thing. <laughs> um, so here's what I did. First thing that I did was call and text a few of my closest friends and I pretty much said, we've just broken up. This is going to be really hard. I know I'm going to have like some low moments. I'm just giving you a heads up. Please stick with me. I love you. Appreciate you. Uh, And my friends were incredible, like so amazing. They were constantly checking in, listening to my voice memos. My friend, little G, she sent me an amazing playlist that I like cried to whilst driving. It's called Delete Men, (laughs) Um, the playlist. And yeah, it has like Dua, Miley, Ariana, Taylor, just iconic girl breakup songs that, um, yeah, like I've always appreciated music, but damn, breakup songs when you're going through a breakup are next level. Uh, also loved listening to Hayley Steinfeld. So yeah, the first thing I did was immediately tell like the close people in my life because obviously had to communicate that I was about to really struggle. And I think sometimes it can be like, I, I do find it hard to actually depend on other people, but like I knew immediately, like this is significant. I need to like rally in my people. And I was kind of just had like a, you know, a a focused game face on as soon as it happened. Like I was like, all right, I am going to get through this. I'm going to do everything that I can to get through this and also acknowledge that it's not going to be easy. I'm going to be upset. I'm going to be devastated, but I'm going to work through it and I'm going to take it as like I was determined to turn this into a positive and into a big learning lesson for me. Like that was so important. The second thing I did though was actually take two days off work Also want to flag that I'm really grateful and lucky that I was able to do that. Again, thank you, Laura, for letting me have that time off and Hannah. I drove back to Ballarat to mum and dad's and I just cried. Like those two days, I cried. I mourned. I couldn't even eat. Like I tried to eat. I remember sitting on the couch at mum and dad's and I was trying to eat pasta and I just started crying again because I was like, I don't even have an appetite like that. So I just, I went home and just tried to get it out of my system or as much of it as I could out of my system. On the way home, I actually went into a bookshop in Ballarat and I bought Zoe Foster Blake's Breakup Boss. I read a bit of that, which was helpful. And yeah, I was also, I think it's probably important to give more context here, the the timing. I mean, I mentioned it um, in the first episode, but I was in the midst of my book being released. Like this breakup happened six days before my book came out and I had a freaking insane schedule of like full-time radio work, like live national radio on its own is enough, but then doing extra press and being extra present for my book and also like breaking a lease, having to move again. We literally were three weeks into this lease and this breakup happened. It was stupid. (laughs) We should never have moved, but it's fine. Yeah. So I was like, I've got to get home and just get it out of my system. And then I've got to just try and snap out of it and just focus on moving forward, find a new place, get into my schedule. I'm not going to let this ruin my book release and what I've worked so hard doing. So yeah, again, Game Face really determines putting in a plan of action. (laughs) I also started a journal during that time. I've never been one to journal, but a few people said it. It was in Zoe's book. So I definitely gave it a 
a crack. And I, I did find it really helpful just to, you know, note down everything that I was feeling, but also to put down dot points as to what I could look forward to and why this was going to be a good thing. I'm definitely someone, even when I just feel shit about life or overwhelmed, I have to write down like what I've got coming up, what I'm doing, and even just things that I have going for me. Like when I feel like I'm a failure or just doing shit, I write down what I've achieved. I'm like, okay, now that I can see it on paper, I feel good again. So same kind of thing with journaling, like writing down why this was going to be a good thing. What are the good things about, like, what are going to be the good things about being single? What am I excited to, you know, do and learn and experience? And why, even if it couldn't be, even if it feels hard, why it's a good thing that that relationship ended. You have to find, even if you don't feel like reasons, if you were broken up with, if you were dumped, you should totally still take time and force yourself to write down why, you know, think about their red flags, think about their flaws, you know, writing down cons about your ex, like, yeah, call it shady, but it helps. (laughs) It definitely helps. I knew I would be fine, but I also knew it would take a while to get there. And yeah, everyone is different with this stuff. You know, some people are fine quicker than others. But for me, I knew the process, the healing process would not be linear. And yeah, especially in the situation that we were in, like it took a few months to get our place filled by new people. So breaking the lease, but then having to pay like, you know, three months of double rent essentially um, and like other things that happened. Obviously don't want to get into the full details of the breakup, but I was just like, I'm going to get through it. I'm going to be graceful and I'm just going to do what I can. I also stopped drinking, um, the exception being my 30th birthday, which was an absolute blowout and one of the top three hangovers of my life, but I needed it and I had the best time. My 30th birthday was six weeks after the breakup, but I knew straight away, I was like, drinking's not going to help you. You're going to get through this sober. So I wasn't going to go home after work every night and have a bottle, a bottle, probably a bottle. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. A glass of wine that probably would turn into a bottle, um, but I was like determined to actually get through it sober. I started going to the gym for my mental health. So I want to emphasize it was for my mental health. I feel so much better after exercising. Even today, like I'm recording this now, but earlier today I had to go for a walk, walk to my dog. Then I did my walk because walking your dog isn't walking for you. It's walking for your dog. Anyway, that's another thing. Then I did my walk. Then I went to Pilates and I felt so good. Like I did my show, my radio show, and I was in a really good mood and I felt like it was a really good show. Exercise just completely lifts my entire mental state pretty much. Um, Where was I going to that though? Yep. So going to the gym for my mental health, going on these long walks around Princess Park in Carlton, listening to podcasts. Mainly I was listening to Zara and Michelle, Shameless Girls, but I was also recommended Do You Fucking Mind by Alexis Fernandez. And uh, I even messaged her. I was like, you sound like the blunt but insightful friend that we all need. And your episodes on confirmation bias, heartbreak hacks, anxiety have helped me so much. 
So I just want to give like a shout out to Do You Fucking Mind by Alexis Fernandez because it was also like a moment where I kind of had a newfound appreciation for my work. Like if I've ever been able to be of comfort to someone in the way that Alexis and her podcast comforted me during that period, I would be so honored. So yeah, that was like huge in my healing, big time. I started seeing a psychologist too, which, you know, it's not the cheapest thing, but I got onto the mental health care plan and, yeah, for me, my biggest priority was giving myself the time to debrief and unpack what happened, what I can kind of take out of the breakup, how I can move forward and apply these lessons to my next chapter, whether that's like, yeah, next crack at dating or relationship or maybe not. Maybe it's just like focusing on friendships. Everyone is different and some people like to jump straight back into dating. I honestly like I really admire people who can do that. I think like power to you. I I couldn't, like I needed time and I'm so glad and like proud that I took the time too and I can't believe that I'm, you know, at this point now, you know, like nearly 18 months later, I'm in a new relationship which is really fun and easy and I know that I'm in such a better place, like I'm so happy with where I am in life right now. But when you go through that breakup, right, you fear that you'll never have something like that again. And I remember a few weeks after the breakup, I went into Libra, you know, the period product company. I went into um, film a thing about my book and I was telling them. And one of the girls was like, Bridget, your 30s are going to be the best. Like so much can happen in such a short amount of time. And when you least expect it, she experienced the same thing as me, like going through a big breakup at the age of 30. And then three years later, here she is with kids and not only a new partner, but it's a new husband, a whole new life. And it's not to say that you need those things to be happy, but it's just knowing that if you do get out of a long-term relationship, that's not the end. It might feel like the end, but you are just starting a new chapter and it's so exciting. It's it's both parts devastating, but it is exciting. And I really wanted to you know, keep reminding myself of the excitement of it, you know. It's an opportunity. Everything is an opportunity. But going back to the tips, I guess, I I don't know if I've gone off track here, but the tips, what helped me was really prioritizing myself and taking it seriously. Like, you're going to get through this. You are going to implement, like, you know, these points of action to actually help. And I was also going to, like, hold myself accountable. Not going to drink. You're going to confront some issues with your psychologist. You're going to journal. You're going to honor your feelings. That is an important one. Like, I remember there was times I would have amazing run a couple of weeks just being like, I am, I'm fine. I'm good. And then one night randomly might get home after work and I'm just like, holy shit, I'm so lonely. I'm so lonely. And I'd start crying. Or if I was in a conversation with a guy, like it was promising and shaping up to be like a a, a catch up or whatever. And then I just fully pull back and just, you know, cry to myself and be like, I can't, I'm not ready yet. You know, it's important to honor like how you're feeling. But yeah, you're going to do everything you can to help yourself get through it because you deserve that. And yeah, that's pretty much what I did. And those are my tips. So Britt, I hope that helped. (laughs) I really hope that helped. Okay, the next question is from Kathleen, and she wanted to know how to leave a relationship in your 30s. I mean, I don't think it's any different to any other age, like regardless of where you are in life. If you need, if you feel like you need to leave a relationship, you got to do it. But I guess in the context of being in your 30s, you know, if it isn't serving you, I like, I feel like we do take time more seriously in our 30s and you don't want to waste time. 
You know, you don't want to waste their time. You don't want to waste your time. And you want to get out of it before you're really tied down. You know, I kept thinking about that with my last one. Like, thank God. You know, it it happened before I turned 30 and I was like, holy shit, I'm creeping up to 30 and I feel like a failure. But I look back, I'm like, thank God it happened then because I actually entered my 30s with a clean slate and I wasn't engaged or married or with kids and a mortgage with this person. Like there were, we just had to break the lease, which sucked, but could have been worse, could have been so much more complex. So yeah, I mean, I don't really have much else to say how to leave a relationship in your 30s. There's no textbook way. It's not like you need to sit them down and say this. I mean, you need to be honest and open with that communication and be respectful and, of course, be empathetic. But it just comes down to you got to do it, Kathleen. you got to do it. Hi, Bridget. It's Hannah. My question for the podcast is, how did you know you were ready to start dating again? Love your work, Bridge. Bye. Thanks, Hannah. How did I know I was ready to start dating again? Lots of, um, I, I do love that there's a lot of questions about dating and relationships. That's popped up like throughout the entire podcast series. And even when I just do like a regular ask me anything on my Instagram, um, people do be interested, which is fine. How did I know I was ready? It was baby steps. Like I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't just dive back in because it was a whole new experience for me too. I've, I've never been someone who's gone on dates, even before my last relationship. I just never went on them. <laughs> I'm not exciting. I'm, I, like, I wish I had a saucy, spicy dating life that I could tell you about, but I literally don't. But yeah, it, like it took a few months to even download the apps. It was everything was done in steps. Like first step is to download the apps and to even like understand what they are and how they work. Um, Because as I said in the dating episode, the dating landscape has changed since I was last single and like how prominent apps are now. They weren't even really a thing um, or as big as what they were back, back in my day of being single. So yeah, downloading the apps, being familiar with them, I guess understanding the purpose of each one and how they do serve differently, creating a profile. That was the first step for me, just doing that. And then it was just having conversations. Like conversations were huge for me. And I think what I've been honestly cautious about in this whole dating experience this past year, like this is the first time that I have been in the dating world as someone that some people actually know. And I say that in the sense of having a job that people know you from your job, like a public facing role. So I was really cautious of who I would engage in conversation with and how much information I would even share because yeah, it's it's honestly like it is just different when you work a public facing role. And I don't want that to come off as arrogant or whatever. It's literally the truth. And like I have guys DMing on Instagram and for the most part, they're really sweet. Like they're being really sweet. But would you be there if it wasn't for my job? Probably not. Maybe that's getting off topic. But yeah, anyway, took a few months and conversations were probably where I kind of wanted to get the most out of in terms of personal development. I found conversations to be really good for that. And if, you know, these conversations didn't eventuate to a date, like I was fine with that. Like conversations were enough for me. (laughs) And going back to what I said earlier in one of the questions, um, getting comfortable in my own company, I wanted to get to the point where I was comfortable within myself that if I was going to go on a date and if it didn't work out, I would be okay with that. I was really worried about going on a date and if it wasn't good or if I was into it more than they were, that I would suddenly put my whole self-worth out the window, like I would blame myself. I was in a really vulnerable position due to the circumstance of um, the breakup 
and I guess what came after it, like it put me in a real vulnerable position where I did lose a lot of confidence and I knew I had to like work my way back to the point where I needed to be okay with things not working out in a dating sense. Otherwise, yeah, I literally just would have gone, oh, I would have gone loco. Like I would have been so upset if someone rejected me. Um, So I really just needed to build up my self-worth again, to be honest. Like it sounds sad, but it's true. So yeah, it took a few months to get to that point. But even in the conversation mode, I kind of realized that I'm not a casual dater. I really wanted to be, but I just found that I wasn't. And I think that's the thing when you do get out of a relationship, there's an expectation that you do have to suddenly have this amazing, busy dating life and like this busy single life. And even like some of your friends kind of turn to you and they're like, I'm going to live through you now. And you're like, oh, like there was not much to live through last year, especially in Melbourne, like four lockdowns, couldn't even like go on dates. So that I guess, again, that's why I, you know, really benefited from conversations. But I also found myself to be fussy <laughs> about who I would go on a date with if the conversation led to that and if they were worth my time. And I, you know, admitted in the dating episode that my first date post breakup was actually 13 months after my breakup. And that person who I went on the date with is now my boyfriend. Um, but I wasn't looking for my next relationship. I was just like, you know, is this person worth my time? Quickly kind of realized, yeah, like the conversation was really good. And then he, yeah, was like, do you want to go get a wine? And I was like, yes. And it was, yeah, it was awesome. And now we're lovers. (laughs) Um, I feel like I'm getting off topic again. But circling back, I knew I was ready when I felt comfortable in my own company. And yeah, I think it all comes back to your self-worth. And I just didn't want to date to fill a void. I really didn't want to do that. I don't know if that makes sense. Next question is from Jess, and she wanted to know how has having a dog changed my life? She is so adorable. Daisy, Daisy, Daisy. (laughs) So Daisy is my black cavoodle. She is about to turn one, actually. And yeah, a lockdown puppy. I got her in September last year. Pretty much a a quick turnaround, like within two weeks of deciding that I really wanted to get a dog, I got her. Let me just say, though, raising a puppy as basically a single mum is so hard. It's like she has um, she's got a stepdad now, obviously, but I've done major like I pretty much raise her as a single mum. It's been a really good taste of motherhood (laughs) and it's definitely made me realise that I don't want actual kids anytime soon. And when I say soon, I mean, definitely not this year or next year, maybe when I'm 33 or 34. So like in a couple of years. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of nice because I was freaking out that I had to do that stuff now, like actually have babies. But um, nah, nah, I definitely need a few more years to myself. Like I need I need to be a bit selfish for a little longer. And I think that's fine. She has been a lesson in patience and empathy, I suppose, and just caring for another living thing. Daisy is a brat, like straight up. She is a a brat. I'm a pushover mom. I spoil her. But the minute I got her was about a month before lockdown six ended. And at that point, we just didn't even know when lockdown six was going to freaking end in Melbourne. So she came at a really good time. And 
the first month of having her was really good to actually do in lockdown in terms of training her and getting into a routine. And then when lockdown ended, we could get out and socialize and and that kind of stuff. But yeah, as soon as I got her, it was good. I wasn't even thinking about dating. I wasn't like, I, I have no time for dating. I have no time to think about wanting to do that. I'm, I have this damn dog to look after. So that was, yeah, I guess a good distraction. My favorite thing about getting her is probably the connections that it's given me. Like her best friend is this schnoodle called Charlie and I have a new friendship with her owners, um, Yana and Mark. And yeah, just being able to reconnect with other people who have dogs as well. Um, Shout out Ali, shout out Em. I think that's been the best part for me. And yeah, it's, it's been a big learning experience. It is not easy. And some days I'm like, I'm so over this, like no shame saying that. I think a lot of We should probably hear that more from puppy and dog owners. (laughs) But yeah, she certainly has changed my life. The next question is from Heath, who said, how do you deal with the anxiety of having your younger years just swoop by? Why do I think of London grammar like wasting my, is it I'm wasting my young years? Yeah, I think it's that song. That just comes to mind when I think of this question. Sometimes I get really sad about it. I am such a nostalgic person. I always think about 2011, like that's my favorite year of my existence because it was so chaotic and it was a real coming of age year. But I don't know. I think you just remember, like I wouldn't want to repeat any previous years. I like to remember it from what it was. I don't want to try and replicate things because, yeah, in the fear of tainting the first experience. I'm like that with concerts, actually. Here's an example. I went to Taylor Swift's first ever gig in Melbourne. She headlined Billboard slash 170 Russell March 2009. It was a month before I turned 18 and it was so amazing. And I have never seen Taylor Swift since because I'm scared of tainting the memory of seeing her live in such an intimate setting. Like going to an arena show won't be the same. But in saying that, I do want to see her when she comes back to Australia. Like I'm ready to see her again. Um, Maybe that's not a good example. Maybe that doesn't make sense. Anyway, it makes sense in my head. I think, yeah, it's just important to be present and just to appreciate those moments, you know, your younger years. And here's another good way of looking at it. Where you are now is the oldest that you've been and it's also the youngest that you're going to be. Is that the same? I'm going to Google it far out. I'm totally cooking this question, Heath. Yeah, like you've never been this old, but you're not getting any younger. So just make the most of now. Just embrace it, you know? We are up to the final question. And this one is from Louise who said, how do you be single date and tell a guy that sex, like penetration, is a no-go due to endo pain? So we are tapping a little bit into endometriosis again. If anyone's missed the memo, I have this chronic condition called endometriosis. It's um, when tissue similar to the lining of the uterus grows outside of the uterus. There's no known cause. There's no cure. It's been found in every major organ of the body. It causes a lot of pain. It can cause organs to stick together. It can cause infertility in up to like 50% of cases. It's pretty hectic. And yeah, painful sex is a pretty key symptom. How do you be single, date, and tell a guy that penetration is a no-go due to endopain? Well... I think one thing that's important is to kind of change our idea of sex. Like penetration isn't the be all end all. There are so many different ways to have sex and you should embrace that. So whether it's like seeking the advice of a sexologist, I have a whole chapter of sex in my book, How to Endo, um, and actually chat to Chantelle Otten, uh, who is an amazing sexologist and really across endo. So 
yeah, kind of changing your idea of sex and, you know, knowing that it's all about the journey, not the destination. And it is a team effort. So communication and teamwork is key here. So you can like you can say it in a really casual way. I if it was me, I would just be like, you know, if I got to that point where I was in the bedroom with them hey, I just want to quickly give you a heads up. Um, I have endo and sometimes sex can be painful for me. So I want it to be like amazing for you and I want it to be amazing for me. Um, what do you like doing? This is what I like doing. It's important to like talk through it as it's happening and you can talk through it in a way that's not awkward. Like have fun with it and just be confident in that conversation. If a guy is going to be shit about it, he's not worth your sexy time. You know, don't even go there. But they should be open and be like, okay, well, what works for you? This is what I like. What do you like? I can't tell you how important it is to have those conversations. And I can tell you when I was younger, I would definitely be too scared to even talk about sex with anyone that I was having sex with. It's not until recent years where I've been more comfortable to talk about it because I know how important it is. Like, Sex is a team effort here. But in saying that, sex is also a solo effort too. Like you can have your own sex, you know, make use of toys and get to know your, you know, your hotspots. Like embrace foreplay. Like foreplay is just as important as like actual sexy time. So that would be my tips. Like off the top of my head, I can't really think of anything else. And my voice honestly is getting really sore at this point. I feel like I've been talking heaps. But I do have a whole chapter, if you haven't read my book already, How to Endo, there is a whole chapter on sex and tips and amazing advice from Chantal. And I think it will really help you. And um, yeah, it is important like to just open that communication. Like you owe that to yourself. Okay, so I hope you got something out of this little AMA. My voice actually hurts from just talking nonstop. So it's time to wrap this up. But as I said earlier, I'll definitely do another episode. I'll do another AMA edition when this podcast series resumes. We're going to have a little break. I want to map out future topics. I don't have an exact time frame. Obviously, I want it to be soon. But I really want to put some good thought and time into these upcoming episodes. I want to I want to explore pop culture moments. I've already thought of like TV series and movies and stuff. I want to interview more people. I really want to flesh this out. So look, if you have any suggestions on topics and stuff, definitely get in touch. You can send an email to figuringout30, so figuringout30 at gmail.com. I'm more likely to see it there than my Instagram but you can always try a DM as well at Bridget Hustway. I want to say thank you so much for listening to Figuring Out 30. It's been such a great experience for me and I appreciate the reviews and ratings. If you haven't done one, it's never too late to do so. This is completely independent, like it's a one-woman show here. So your support means the world. And yeah, I can't wait to be back here with you soon. Figuring Out 30. So until next time, love ya.
we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.